Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the Decred Assembly. Um, today on the show, we have a special guest, uh, one of my good friends in crypto, uh, Pamela Morgan. Um, say hi, Pamela. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm super excited to be here. Um, and Austin, of course, uh, is with me today. He might lose his camera because he has crappy internet still. So, um, But yeah. Uh, welcome to the show, and uh, just to give you a little bit of background on Pamela. She is a an attorney by trade. Um, she's also the CEO of Third Key Solutions, um, which they do all sorts of crypto stuff that we'll talk about. Uh, she was a co-founder of the Bitcoin Open Blockchain Meetup that's based in Chicago, um, which is an awesome meetup if you've never been. Like I highly recommend it. Um, and. Uh, I think there's some other stuff that she told me to talk about, but I can't remember. So. Um, but anyways, uh, welcome to the show, Pamela. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to nerd out with you guys about um, estate planning and all sorts of other stuff. Awesome. How are and, you guys uh, today? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think we're doing good. How are you doing? Good, awesome. Totally, man. Having a great day. Getting a lot of good work done. Yeah, man. I, I uh, had a bunch of CSS crap that I had to deal with at work today, so uh, <laughs> I think I tweeted about it, but anyways, <laughs> um, so let me bring up my show notes, sorry. Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, to kick things off, uh, I will uh, first give everybody an update. Yesterday we had a show with uh, Charlie Lee and Dave Collins, and we talked about uh, Atomic Swaps, the big news that came out last week from uh, the Decred Project and Litecoin working together. And, uh, creating one of the first atomic swaps between uh, two of these uh, alternative currency projects. Um, we also talked about the integration of Lightning Network and atomic swaps on top of that, which is it's a was a really great episode. Um, and yeah, you guys should definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, we're going to be having a, a special show coming up next week, uh, and I'll have more details about uh, the nature of that in the future. Um, one thing, uh, this is like everything we talk about is not investment advice, it's not legal advice, uh, technically, even though we do have an attorney, but you guys should always account, you know, consult your own uh, attorneys and financial consultants. Um, so, yeah, just to give everybody a heads up with that. And last thing is uh, we do have a vote going on right now with Decred. Um, and the vote is to activate check sequence verify, which will make Lightning Network really enabled on top of Decred. Um, so Dave Collins did all the work. If you want to learn more about all the work that was done and, and why we need to integrate that into the protocol, then um, please watch the last episode, episode 13. Um, and on top of that, he's all, and we're also going to be adding the uh, opcode uh, for SHA-256 so that we can do shared hash functions and and more atomic swaps between all the other uh, chains out there that are going to be integrating Lightning Network. So, um, anyways. Now you made me want to watch it. Right? <laughs> you should watch it. Should we cut the show short and just all watch it? Like, mystery science? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it, it, you should watch it. It's a, it was a good show. Um, so, well, thanks for coming on the show, Pamela. Um, one thing uh, that you, you may not know is uh, you're actually the first female we've ever had on the show. Uh, I, I wish we had more. I've been trying to get uh, more females to come on the show, but uh, welcome. Thank you. Know, you. Single you out like that or anything, but 
I, I was, I was, I, I'm often the first woman on, um, on the shows. Once I was called the Sally Ride of the Bitcoin Lawyer podcast, um, because I was the first woman. So um, yes, please, folks, uh, I don't represent all of our kind. Uh, just, just, just me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I know tons of amazing women in this space. So if you want more guests, uh, I'm happy to provide provide info. There's lots. Awesome. So um, Austin, do you want to kick us off with our first question? Yeah. Um, so uh, why don't you tell us how you got involved in Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency space in general? Sure. Um, this is like one of my favorite stories. I, I hope it's entertaining to listen to, but. Um, before I found Bitcoin, I was, as, as you mentioned, um, I'm an attorney by trade, but I didn't go to law school to be a lawyer. Uh, I went to law school for the knowledge. Um, I knew that I always wanted to teach college, um, and it's college because I like to say controversial things and I like to curse, and you can't really do that in high school. So I, I decided that college was going to be right for me. Um, and, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to teach college and I was looking for a, a graduate degree that would allow me to do that. And so I went to law school and, um, and it was a great experience, um, in, in many ways, but then after you take, after you go through three years of law school, uh, you kind of just take the bar because that's what you do. I don't know. It feels weird not to. Um, so I took the bar in Michigan where my family's from. And then I promptly moved to Illinois and took the bar there. And so I'm actually licensed in both Michigan and Illinois. And I worked as an attorney um, for a while. And then I got the opportunity to teach entrepreneurship at a community college. And I, and I quit my job in the middle of the financial recession um, and I quit my full-time in-house counsel job to teach two classes as an adjunct professor. Um, for those of you who do not know how much adjunct professors make, many of them are on food stamps. Yeah. Uh, nice. They make basically nothing. And uh, yeah, so, but this is what I always wanted to do. So I started teaching entrepreneurship and I, I love entrepreneurship because I love how fast it moves, but also I'm very interested in empowering people. So I started teaching that and I moved up and moved up and then I got a position as the director of entrepreneurship and uh, business administration at a community college. And then I went to a training that was all about teaching the entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. And that was in Kansas City at the Kauffman Foundation and it was awesome. And while I was there, I was recruited by the CEO of that company to come and work with him and travel the world and teach professors of entrepreneurship how to teach an entrepreneurial mindset. Are you with me? Totally. Okay, that's like super meta. So, all right, so you're like, what the hell does this have to do with <laughs> got into Bitcoin. I'm getting there, I promise. Not all my stories will be this long, folks. Um, so I, I started teaching entrepreneurship and teaching teachers how to teach entrepreneurship. And doing that, I was very interested in, as I said, empowering people, and so, I was doing research on the side for um, having people with disabilities pursue entrepreneurial paths. And the reason is because it's very hard for people with, um, with special needs to get hired, especially depending on what they are. And so I was exploring the idea of helping them you know, pursue entrepreneurship as a way to avoid having to go out and find a job. Nice. So gotcha. now we're getting to Bitcoin. So I, <laughs> my boss was invited to speak at this conference, and I was also invited to speak there. It was called Disrupt Startup Scale Up. And it was in Athens, Greece. 
at the end of 2013. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be awesome, right? So the, <laughs> the conference is called Disrupt. We're going to be disruptive. It's going to be fantastic. And I go there, and it was like, wah, wah, wah. So there was this, <laughs> to give you an idea of how undisruptive this conference was, um, there was a woman there who got 60 minutes on the stage, and she was talking about reelecting Hillary Clinton in 2016. And or, sorry, I'm sorry, electing, not reelecting. Um, and I was like, that is the least disruptive thing I think I've ever heard. Um, so I was like so disappointed with this conference. And at 2 p.m., I believe it was, someone took the stage and started talking about Bitcoin. And that person is Andrea Santinopoulos. Ah, uh, of course. And I was in the audience and I heard him talk about Bitcoin and I immediately perked up and I started really listening to what he was saying. And I thought to myself, if half of what he's saying is true, this could change the world. This could be exactly the thing that I've been looking for um, my whole life. Right. Um, And I could actually have a huge impact if I get involved in, in this sort of thing. So I left that conference. And I started nerding out and I did all the research I could. And um, two months later, I quit my full-time job (laughs) and and I decided I was gonna make a career for myself in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because I believe that there is a huge need and that, you know, right now, everyday people have the opportunity to to impact how these technologies are gonna shape our world. And if more of us who care about everyday people don't step up, it's going to be completely shaped by the status quo. And I don't want that. So that's, that's my story. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. You, uh, so you, you work full-time in this space now. Uh, I do. What, uh, what do you do? Uh, so I started um, practicing law. Uh, in early 2014, focusing my practice completely on uh, on Bitcoin, and um, and then we started talking a little bit about smart contracts, right? Um, so this is early days, and uh, I was one of the first lawyers, I think, to accept Bitcoin in my practice. And as I was doing this, I realized um, that Bitcoin had a feature that I really, really liked, and that's multi-sig. Mm-hmm. And um, I love multi-sig because it takes away power from third parties and makes it, and we're using technology to make sure that people can't cheat. And I love that yeah. um, because I don't think that oversight actually works. So I started writing articles about, um, about using multi-sig for retainers for, for uh, law firms. As you can imagine, it was wildly popular with my peers <laughs> and um, zero people adopted it. Uh, but I still believe in it and I think someday it's going to happen, right? So the idea is right now we give third parties money to hold for us. And when it comes to a retainer, a legal retainer, um, you know, the lawyer takes that money and they put it into an account and they're supposed to hold it there for you. And when they earn it, they're allowed to transfer money into their personal account. So you're supposed to hold client funds in trust. Mm -hmm. Now, um, neither one of you are lawyers, right? No. No. Okay. (laughs) So one of the best dirty little secrets is um, all of the bar associations, I think all of them, have uh, bar journals. They have newsletters. And, And the best part is always at the back, right? 
Usually the body parts are in the back. Um, so in the back of the bar journals, you get to read about all the lawyers who have done bad things and, <laughs> and what their punishments are. So in the back of the bar journal, there is always, always a story about a lawyer who has what we call commingled client funds, which we call that commingling. If you were to do it, we call it stealing. Um, so, you know, the, the idea is you can't take money that's not yours. And it happens innocently. You know, the idea isn't that, you know, the lawyer's like, ha ha, I'm going to take all of your money and spend it, right? It happens innocently. Rent is due, a payment is due, something happens, and they pull out of this trust account. With multi-sig, they can't. Mm -hmm. right. So they're protected from themselves, right? And it's also protecting consumers. And I love that sort of idea. And so I started thinking about how we can take these ideas and move them into uh, companies that are using Bitcoin. So I started talking about corporate governance and policies and procedures within organizations and, and helping. I wrote a multi-sig manual before there, before there was copay. Um, and you had to do okay, things okay, like, so great, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. It's the greatest thing. Um, because before <laughs> that you can go on my website and you can see like the 14 page manual of like step one, <laughs> step 29,000. It was like, yeah, but I still really love the concept and like all new technology, right? We test it and we start it out and it's clunky and it's uncomfortable and it takes a lot of steps and then we start to finesse it and build and build and build. And that's what I love about this space. So I started doing multi-sig, and obviously I didn't know enough about multi-sig myself because I'm not a computer scientist, although I do have uh, my minor in bachelor's degree is computer programming. Cool. Um, so nice. I, I, you know, I know a little bit. And so I reached out to the, to the community and I was like, hey, who can help me you know, design processes for my clients? And again, Andreas stepped up and was like, hey, I'll help you along with a number of other people. And we started working together in that capacity. So he would help me design systems for my clients. That turned into third key solutions. Nice. And the reason it turned into third key solutions is because it ended up as the technology got easier and easier to use, it, it became less about the legal side of it and more about bridging the gap between law and technology. And that's something that I do pretty well. And so we started Third Key Solutions um, to help people with non-custodial key management. So we never take custody of keys. Uh -huh. And the idea is we, we try to solve problems in the industry, um, always with the idea that we're not taking custody. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I think this uh, segues into a, a good topic then. Um, you know, one of the topics that you really want to talk about is estate planning, which I guess uh, their key solutions probably specializes in. Um, yeah. So can you tell us more about like, what is estate planning? Like, why is it important? Why do I need it? Yeah, I would love to. So this is again, like estate planning simply came out of solving a problem for our clients. So we have people who are using cryptocurrencies in their business. And then I ask them, okay, do you have cryptocurrencies? Like, for your wealth. And they're like, yes, I do. Okay, how is your family <laughs> going to inherit them if something bad happens? And they go, what? I've never thought of that, right? And so I feel like, okay, well, if you're going to amass wealth in cryptocurrencies, I assume, especially if you have a family, especially if you have people that are depending on you, you want them to be able to inherit those assets. The problem is that if we combine this idea of non-custodial, right, where everyone owns their own keys and we keep those keys private, how do we balance that with allowing people after we go 
to mm -hmm. access our cryptocurrencies. And this is a balancing act. So I started working on this because no one else was doing it. Yeah, so what, what kind of solutions have you come up with? Do you like uh, Shamir secret sharing or, or is it just pure multi-sig? And, and if it is just pure multi-sig, like who are the parties? Um, how does it work? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. And I, I, I will tell you that there are many companies working on a cookie cutter solution for every single person. Hmm. And I will tell you that for 99% of people out there, they are wrong. Interesting. <laughs> and, that's because, and that's because I want you to think for just one second about your family. Okay, think about your family. Think about your crazy aunt, <laughs> or uncle, uh. <laughs> or cousin, or sister, or brother, or parent, or you know, child, right? And so we, we especially in the, in the tech side, we really like to try to find tech solutions. The problem is that when people get involved, it becomes muddy. And then when we get law involved on top of that, um, it becomes even muddier. So to answer your question, there are a number of different solutions that, that we help people implement. What we do is if you wanted to do estate planning, for example, we would have a 30 minute call with you and we would talk about, okay, what do you have? Um, what are you, what kind of software are you using now? Like what, what kind of wallets are you using? Are you using hardware wallets? You know, what kinds of cryptocurrencies do you, do you currently have? How involved is your family? Like, do you have someone in your family who's like rock solid coming every meetup with you? Or is, is your other, like is your significant other or others, like we don't care about this crypto crap, you know? So it, it really, really depends on who's going to inherit. Um, you know, if you have kids, that's a totally different story. How are they gonna inherit? Is this gonna become part of the estate? And then most importantly, um, and I'm sorry to be a Debbie Downer here, but uh, state law is what governs estates. What I mean by that is every single state has its own rules. And so wherever you are a resident of, there are laws on the books. Now, here's a little tidbit that most people aren't aware of. Uh, in many, many jurisdictions, both inside and outside the United States, there's this little thing called a surviving spouse statute or an elective share. Have either of you heard of that? No. Okay. So this is a happy little law on the books. And the reason that it's on the books is because the state does not want someone who has money to disinherit their spouse and then have that person go on state aid. Okay? Okay. Got it? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. what they do is they write a statute that says, no matter what your will says, your surviving spouse may choose a quote unquote elective share. It's also called the surviving spouse statute. And typically that runs anywhere from 25 to 50% of your estate, depending on whether or not you have children outside the marriage, whether or not, et cetera, et cetera. And every state is, is, is unique. So many people might be surprised to learn that even though they write a will, that says, you know, everything I own, including my crypto, goes to my kids. If you are married, that is not how it will go down. Maybe. Now, if your spouse says, you know what, yeah, this is supposed to go to the kids, I'm not gonna fight it, no problem. But money does money and grief do weird things to people. Money and grief bring out <laughs> like monsters. I don't know, like dragons out of people. It's it's crazy. And things that you never ever think would happen happen. 
So for people who aren't aware of these sorts of statutes, this is why estate planning is important. So we have really two aspects. One, we need to make sure that the tech side is handled, right? And that people can okay. actually access for, for cryptocurrencies. And two, we need to know what the law is in your jurisdiction so that we can kind of make sure that what you want to have happen can happen. You know, there are lots of creative ways that people um, maneuver, but you know, this is all super <laughs> state specific. So it's not something that we can fix with just technology alone. Yeah, I wish I had- That's I mean, really I, interesting. I wish I could say like, oh yeah, we have this software solution and you just like download it and put your information yeah. in and you're solid, right? But yeah. that's not really reality. Yeah. So and but, then, so you you would in that particular in that one particular case, like so you would you would help them. I could see now why there's first of all, there's no cookie cutter solution, right? Definitely. <laughs> that, I totally that could not hear you. Yeah. I could not oh, hear sorry. you at all. Can you hear me? Yeah. Now? You were breaking up. Okay, oh. sorry. Oh. Yeah, I, uh, I might have to turn off my video. I'll turn um, off my video. There we go. Yeah. Is that better? Bye, Austin. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Blue Austin. <laughs> Sad face. Um, okay, let me try. <laughs> oh, pretty, uh, now he's gone. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, hopefully, he's coming back. Uh, um, all right, well, anyways, <laughs> I don't know what Austin was about to say, but, um, oh, there he is. Hey. Glad you're back. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Uh, so, so what were you about to say, Austin? <laughs> I was going to say, so I, I can see why the cookie cutter solution falls apart pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so in that, in a case like the one that, that you just, you just mentioned, um, mm -hmm. so you, you would go about, um, well, of course, figuring out what the needs are, but w would you go so far as to try to arrange matters such that anyone entitled to a, what did you call it? An elective share? Mm -hmm. Anyone entitled to elective share would have the ability, but not the responsibility of, uh, taking at most the maximum amount allowed by law. Uh, that's really interesting. So, so, so. I guess I guess I'll start. Yeah, I don't want to nerd out too much. I could really go rabbit hole on this. This is fascinating. Like how oh, do yeah. you set these up and 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 with uh, with the scripting language and such? That's cool. Uh, I guess I'll just ask a super basic question. Um, how how would the blockchain know that I'm dead? Yeah. So the most popular option for that is the dead man switch. If you go on Reddit, it's all over the place and everyone is super excited about the dead man switch. So there are a couple of implementations of this. One is a positive where you have to keep checking in and if you don't respond, then they will unlock your key at an X period of time. Which is dangerous because I could be in prison. Oh yeah, or if I know that you have a ton of loot, I can lock you in a closet. Yeah. Like, exactly. you know, or, or I can, or if something, so for example, if you're in Puerto Rico right now, what are you gonna do, right? You have no power, you have no access, good luck checking in. Yeah. So you know, there are all sorts of reasons why that's not the best solution. It doesn't mean that it can't be part of a solution. Mm -hmm. It just means that, you know, often we, we try to find like the one thing that's gonna work. And if there's anything that you guys walk away with today, it's just remember security and estate planning are all layers. They're all layers, right? So you don't just put a passcode on your phone. You put a passcode on your phone and you store your seeds securely and you have a redundant copy somewhere else and, 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 right? And you layer it up so that hopefully... <laughs> 
things will go, you know, you can mitigate the risk. You can take the risk down. You never get to zero. There's no such thing as a, as a risk-free anything now, right? So, um, you know, the question is, how much can we take the risk down while still making sure that you can actually access everything? So this is the other problem. Yeah. You go on Reddit, you see these like, these, and I'm not slamming Reddit, Redditors, I love you. Um, but, you know, you, you see these people who will say, for example, um, they'll say, I'm gonna have my, my seed, right? I'm gonna take my seed, I'm gonna take my 24 words. But instead of having my 24 words, I'm gonna cut them up and give two to this relative and two to that relative uh -huh. and two to this person. And it's like that, you're gonna lose your, you're gonna oh, lose yeah. your keys. There's okay. no way, especially because most of the people that you're giving these keys to do not value it. They, even if you tell them this is worth money, conceptually, they will not get it. And so yeah. something over you know, time will happen and, you know, and, and then you're gonna be out. So you don't wanna make it too convoluted. Like mm -hmm. keep it simple, keep it practical, keep it something that you can continue to test over and over. You know, think about redundancy. Um, I've given lots of presentations on Security 101. So like, how do you actually store your keys? Where do you store your keys? Um, you know, how, how do you use multi-sig in, in key storage and security? And so there are just general best practices, right? Like think about flood, think about fire, think about theft, mm -hmm. um, think about the ways that you're gonna protect yourself from those things. And um, one final on, on, on this rant, um, <laughs> a lot of people say, you know, I'm gonna give my key to my girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, cousin, whoever. And I'm always a little nervous about that. And the illustration that I give is I want you to take a minute and I want you to think back to your first kiss. <laughs> Remember your first kiss? Everyone does that. Everyone kind of giggles and smiles, which I love, right? You think about your first kiss and you think about the way that you felt and you think about the way that you felt for that person. And now you think, am I still with that person? The majority of people are not still with that person. Or if they are, it's a return, right? So they've gone on to other pastures and come back. The, the, the point that I'm making is that in the moment, we feel things um, for people and there's nothing wrong with that, that's great. But we do have to recognize that people change and things change. You know, I, I have family members who've, who've had drug problems. You know, and so people who I thought were totally trustworthy, all of a sudden, not so much, right? And so when we're doing this this planning, we need to kind of take that mantra of, you know, preventing people from doing bad, like I talked about earlier, yeah. um, and kind of extend that to our own friends and family, right? Okay. Um, it's it's much better to to trust in in our in our processes than trust that a seed won't fall into the wrong hands. How about uh, so surely not. Uh, uh, maybe a loved one that we're close to now for the, all the reasons you just mentioned, but uh, what about my attorney? What do, what do you feel about, uh, uh, I guess I should ask you, should I give my private keys or any significant portion of, of spending uh, ability uh, to my attorney and why or why not? Uh, no, Good. do not do that. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Um, and, and here's the danger. Uh, you know, I, I give legal workshops to attorneys all over the world, and this is something that I cover. And the reason is because with traditional property, it's no problem for you to give your a copy of your deed of your house to the lawyer. 
that's really not a big deal. The likelihood is that if something bad happened, you know, no one's really going to go to the lawyer's office, pull that piece of paper out and like try and change it and run down to the recorder of deeds, et cetera. Right. You're, you're going to have big problems if you try to do that mm -hmm. um, with a private key. You have to understand that lawyers offices are insecure. The majority of them do not even use file encryption. Mm -hmm. The majority of them do not um, shield their information from other people in the firm. What I mean by that is, especially in a large firm, you may have an IT department. In fact, you will have an ID, an IT department. And I guarantee you at least some of the nerds there know about Bitcoin. And I'm not saying they're the kind of folks who will pull your, you know, your Bitcoin, your Decred, whatever it is. I'm just saying why put them in a position to tempt them, right? Um, so my advice is never give uh, your, you know, your single private key. That said, if you want to create like a redundancy for multi-sig. So for example, if you wanted to create a three of six, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world for you to give one of the keys to your lawyer. The problem also though, is that you can't just give the key. You also have to give instructions on when they're going to use the key, who can authorize them, under what circumstances will they do it? Is it only by court order? Is it by a text message from you? Like how, how does this person actually execute? And that's for both the lawyer's protection and for your protection. So again, we're talking about combining the tech side of giving them the key with the process side of, of having something in place to make sure that that key is not misused. I also do trainings um, for lawyers who are working in estate planning. And so for example, um, some, of my, uh, some of my clients that have a lot of crypto already have estate planning lawyers. And so I work with them to teach them, okay, these are the things you need to know. These are the assets. This is our plan. Let's make sure it integrates with your plan. Nice. And that, that actually this, that sort of brings up this, this letter. You sent us a link to a letter before, before we uh, went on air. This letter to loved ones, a template for your crypto estate planning. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'd love to. So one of the problems in, in this space is people are kind of paralyzed, right? So they, they hear me talk about estate planning and they're like, yes, I should do something. And then the something is like, what do I do? Right. So um, when I first started talking about this, I started uh, I would give a presentation and I've written some articles about seven steps to estate planning. And the first step is like figuring out what you have and going through blah, blah, blah. You can you can read it. You can look at it. But I found that people weren't actually making it through all the steps. And so I thought, well, you know, one of my great you know, heartaches in this space, and I guess it shouldn't be, but it is, is the idea that like, we're all taking such a chance on this technology. We're all kind of putting our heart and soul and spirit and, and our creativity into this. And I think it's just such a shame if our family can't benefit from that. And so I was thinking, okay, well, you know, look at the things that I have, look at the things that I've done for clients. And so I kind of put them together and I decided to make a really easy template. And I posted it on Medium and it's simply a letter to your loved ones. And if you open it, if you look at it, it just says like, dear loved one, um, I had cryptocurrency. If you're reading this, something bad has happened to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, please be advised that, um, you know, anyone who is going to help you with this could steal the funds. So make sure you watch them very carefully. I use this exchange. 
I use this wallet. <laughs> I use, and I tried to make it as full and robust as possible with the idea that people can just take out all the stuff they don't want, right? But, but start with something. And it's much easier for people to start with a template and start filling in blanks than it is for them to start with nothing and start making lists of their assets and all these other things. So the idea with the letter to loved ones is that it's a catalyst to help you do the steps, but it's just kind of baby steps into, into the estate planning. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, yeah. it will not make sure that your loved ones will actually be able to inherit, right? But it'll get you a yeah. lot closer. Um, it'll get you a lot closer than if you listen to this and then you go, yeah, I should do that. And then you don't do anything. So yeah, that, that's, that's what the template is. Awesome. I'm, actu I'm actually currently writing a book on estate and planning for, uh, for everyday people, right? For cryptocurrencies. Cool. Um, that's right. going to have kind of step by step stuff. Again, you know, it can't, it, it can't substitute for the specific solutions that are family oriented, you know, like for your family, but at least it can get you started. Cool, and we'll put a link to that in the yeah. show notes and blast it out on Twitter too, so people can get easy access. Yeah, that, that's great. pretty awesome. I mean, a great idea that, that you came up with that. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah it's my pleasure. Wonderful. Uh, so we want to uh, shift gears and talk about um, uh, DAOs. And I don't uh, really have a good clean place to start, but maybe you could just start uh, telling, perhaps uh, describe to the uninitiated uh, uh, what a DAO is. Oh, you, you want me to describe what a DAO is? What I think it is, or what the rest of the world thinks it is, or like this yeah, is, yeah. This is the problem, you know? yeah. So, uh, DAO is 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 DAO, and some people say it, it means decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, although I'll argue that most of the time it isn't decentralized; it's distributed, and most of the time it's not actually autonomous. There are people involved. Um, so sometimes we call it, you know, DCO, so decentralized collaborative organization, or something like that, distributed collaborative organization, you know, but, but the main idea is, is that a quote unquote smart contract uh, will, will be the program and, and handle kind of the day-to-day the -day operations of an organization. It just does it without people and it does it with code. What do you think? Please feel free Pretty to jump good. in yeah. if you want to, you no, know, <laughs> I'm, I'm open. I am not the definitive, uh, the definitive guide to DAOs. Yeah, you do have a, a strong law background, and I, I haven't had the, the good privilege of, of discussing, uh, well, actually anything crypto-related, let alone DAOs, with, uh, with anyone with your background. So I would love to hear um, uh, your opinions on um, uh, any legal issues surrounding DAOs? Um, should people, for example, creating DAOs be concerned? What should they do to protect themselves from people suing them if it doesn't work? Uh, and anything else you'd like to talk about with the DAOs uh, with respect to the law? Um, sure. Uh, the, these are like super loaded questions, right? So I like that you said them with a <laughs> smile because you're like, I'm what? It's fine. I'm just going to ask you these super loaded questions. Um, so, so it's totally fine. Um, Here's the thing that that we kind of as as a crypto community and also we as like the greater citizenry of the world have not seemed to, to get our heads around yet. The DAO, when you ask me, you know, how do we protect people from going to jail or how do we protect people from from, you know, being sued and all that sort of stuff? The problem with that is it's in what jurisdiction? 
because now we are dealing with global jurisdiction. And the problem is that the law has not kept up with that. So every law, you know, it's, it's super bound by nations and states and counties and cities. And the problem is no lawyer, no lawyer knows every law in a certain area, let alone the entire world. So when we talk about, you know, how can we create these systems and what are they considered legally, I can't answer that because it all depends on where you're talking about. So, yeah. for example, in the U.S., if you create um, a, a decentralized, we're going to call it a decentralized collaborative organization, one where you, where people have uh, input, okay, where people can change the rules. Right. In my mind, an autonomous organization is truly autonomous, meaning that once it's unleashed, mm -hmm. there is no human interaction. You cannot yeah. change the governance. You can't stop the governance. You can't make modifications. This is the way it is. And arguably, I mean, we're going to see AI, if you know, developing in this way. And we could totally go down a rabbit hole there. But we won't. <laughs> um, so so when we talk about you know, co collaborative organizations and when people have input in these things, then the question becomes, um, A, is it doing something bad? <laughs> okay. So, and when I say bad, again, it's all relative. So it, does the SEC think it's bad? Um, and then the question is, who can they go after? <laughs> so who has made themselves known to said agency who wants to put someone in jail, punish someone, blah, 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 right? So there are all of these layers of responsibility. That said, so here's the, here's the too long, didn't read. Um, we can't actually protect ourselves from, you know, actions by the SEC, um, actions by, you know, whomever else, whatever other government agency and whatever other governments want to get involved. If you, you know, if, if, if someone has a say in the US, then you're subject to, arguably subject to, to securities law, if it's a security. That said, not all DAOs are securities. So mm. you have to fit the, 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 the definition of what is a security. And again, this means going to every single jurisdiction and looking it up. Yeah. And then, you know, we as lawyers, we like to keep things super complicated, right? So it's not enough to just read the statute. No, no, no. You have to read all of the case law that comes after that statute ah. that interprets it. And then you have to try to figure out a way to like, you know, make it not apply to you. And, and that's what a good lawyer does. So awesome. we can't really protect ourselves from that, but we can protect ourselves from lawsuits, civil lawsuits, from people who use our platform, from people who develop for our platforms, for people who we interact with. And we can do that through arbitration. Ah, interesting. Gotcha. And uh, I think this is going to lead into a, a really um, a good co topic of conversation next. Um, so, yeah, um, well, I, before we get into that, I do, I, I do want to take an, um, an idea like, like the, the decred uh, DAO or collaborative organization or whatever the hell we want to call it, um, <laughs> which is actually integrated into a blockchain and there's no actually central entity that is going to own it or control it or whatever. Um, so, I mean, how do you sue? Like, if, you, if I have some sort of litigation or like I have some complaints or and I want to go to go to law, like, what would be the steps to, like, 
or I mean, how, how do you even sue like a decentralized um, entity like this um, that? I mean, I mean, that so has, that is that is nothing but controlled by either like a group of people or um, you know spread across the world that could be completely anonymous. Um, like, how would how would that work? <laughs> I mean, so so like, I don't want to give people any ideas on how to sue people. You know, let them come up with their own creative legal stuff. Like, if you can find them, you know, I I, I would say that you know this is where anonymity is a, is a huge benefit, you know, if, if, but anonymity is super hard to keep up, you know, yeah. you just need yeah. one tiny slip and, and it's all over. And, and again, it really depends on what you're doing, right? If you're out there hurting people, if you're out there, you know, taking people's money, um, I will tell you that courts do not look kindly upon that. And they will be quite creative in finding ways to punish you, especially if you're in the U.S. and especially if you've made yourself known. Um, you know, they 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 are reluctant to let someone walk away with screwing other people. Um, now, you know, arguably that's not that's not your you know the M.O. right? Like so, um, you know, so this is one of the fears with the DAO with the DAO, right? Uh, so if we go back to the Ethereum, the Ethereum DAO, DAO, yeah, this was one of the issues as people were like, you know, well, can, you know, can we sue Slocket? Can we sue, you know, who can we sue? Can we sue the developers? And again, this all depends on the jurisdiction. So yeah. in the US, you know, there's pretty strong law that says, you know, no, you can't really sue the developers. That's not the same all uh, everywhere else around the world. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a dicey game. It's a whole new world. You know, if you, if you have the, if you have the appetite for it, um, you know, this is this is where we're totally breaking new ground as an industry, right? Um, you know, these decentralized autonomous organizations are completely new and completely different, um, and the law just simply doesn't understand what they are and can't really adapt. And I don't really see anyone um, interested in adapting. Um, so, you know, I, I know that that's a non-answer and I'm not trying to be cagey. It's just, that's, sure, sure. that's the best answer I can give is, you know, we don't really know. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I wasn't there, but I, I definitely think that, um, that part of the decision to fork, um, had to kind of be at least a consideration was trying to avoid lawsuits and kind of making people whole. Um, and you know whether or not that's true. I think it's something that we all need to consider as we're building these platforms. Whether you're building a whole new cryptocurrency, whether you're building a wallet, you know what responsibility do you have to people who are using your platform? What responsibility do you, as a community, have to the rest of the community? And are the companies that are operating in your space do they share the same values as you do? So yeah. I think those are important those questions. Those are definitely. You were mentioning earlier so, the. Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. Oh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, this kind of segues into the dam or, or dam or whatever yes, the hell. Yes, yes, you <laughs> rocked it. You rocked it. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, um, which is a funny story because I actually remember you talking about uh, the dam before the Dow blew up, but I think yeah. you actually had a proposal. Like, maybe you could tell us the backstory of the dam, what the dam is, and, and probably somewhere before there, talk about what arbitration is. Sure. 
Um, so, um, damn, which is how you say it. Uh, <laughs> that's how I always say it because I feel like that's what you say when like you get a notice of a lawsuit, you're like, damn. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the premise behind it. So, uh, the idea it's, it's called damn because it's the decentralized arbitration and mediation network and D A M N. And what the premise of damn is, is that there is this, um, trick in international law, I mean, I call it a trick, they call it, you know, treaties and statutes. <laughs> um, but there is this little loophole in international law for arbitration. And arbitration is simply a private dispute resolution mechanism. So what I mean by that is instead of going to your local court, you can go to arbitration. And there are a ton of benefits for doing this. This was basically developed for um, large companies, multinational corporations who deal with cross-border and, um, and huge values, and they didn't want to be tied up in local courts. Mm -hmm. so, um, so arbitration came, came about, and again, multinationals have been using this, this for decades. And the idea is, is if you, if you agree by contract, by written contract, you have to agree by written contract. So this is terms and conditions. If you agree, you can avoid local court and instead agree to resolve any disputes through arbitration. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Are either of you a party to an arbitration contract? Almost certainly. Yep. Yes, <laughs> I, yes. I guarantee it. <laughs> Everyone is. Yeah. So if you have a bank card, if you have a, a debit card, if you have a credit card, if you've ever used Airbnb, if you've ever used Uber, if you've ever used pretty much anything on the planet, you are already subject to an arbitration clause. Um, so you, this will be buried in your, in your terms and conditions. Uh, some jurisdictions require it to be all in capital letters. So you can just scroll down to that part. Um, but what it says is you're waiving your right to go to local court and instead you're going to do this arbitration. Now, the downside of arbitration is that often it's run by big companies, right? So for example, if we have to arbitrate an Airbnb dispute, who is the repeat player in the arbitration? It's not uh, me, right? Maybe. It's Airbnb <laughs> over and over and over and over and over again, right? And so they have the experience, they have the expertise, you know, they know how this is going to go down. So the people say that this isn't a level playing field. So there are downsides to arbitration. But let me talk to you about the upsides, especially for cryptocurrency. Number one, you get to choose your jurisdiction. What that means is by choosing a jurisdiction, you necessarily exclude all others. So we can say our jurisdiction is going to be the laws of Illinois. And what that means is that we now have certainty. What is a DAO? I don't know. What does it say in Illinois law? So instead of having to look at every single jurisdiction all around the world, we can narrow it down. Does that make sense? So this is a super powerful thing. You don't have to have arbitration to choose law, by the way. You can have it in any contract. All you do is make a choice of law. <laughs> um, you can choose things like a uh, venue. So where will the hearing be held? But my personal favorite is you can choose your judge. So in arbitration, you can say, our arbitrator needs to have experience with cryptocurrencies. 
Mm. Our arbitrator must have, you know, must own some decred. Our arbitrator must have blah, blah, blah. And you can limit the criteria. So if you go to local court, you're stuck. You're stuck with whatever judge you get. You have no say. And a lot of times they make decisions and you have no idea why you lost. With arbitration, you can require them to give you a written explanation of why, what their reasoning is. And that's a huge benefit because you can take that and you can then either appeal it or you can make it public. You can also have public or private hearings. So you could, if you wanted to, if you were all about transparency, you could live stream it. Like, you know, you can do these things in private dispute resolution that you just simply cannot do. And one other super big bonus, you can limit the time. So a lot of times lawsuits take years and years and years and years. With arbitration, you have to include this all in writing. In the arbitration clause, you can say, I'm using the international rules. I'm limiting it to six months. So this is not going to drag on for more than six months. And you have certainty. So for businesses, that's super important, right? Because even if you win or lose, sometimes that's not as important as dealing with lawyers and processes and all of these other things for years and years and years. Remember, you're just trying to code, right? You're just trying yeah. to run your business. You Absolutely. don't want to do business and family and lawsuit. That sucks. So if we can use arbitration, and we can, all you have to do is include it in your contract, you can designate all of those things, which I think is really, really empowering. Gotcha. And so that's what DAM is about. DAM is about <laughs> building, so, all right, so we need to take a deep breath because I'm about to get a little, a little, little out there for you. Okay, you ready? <laughs> yeah. So in my world, um, arbitration is, is the first step but it's not the last step. So often when there are disputes, right? You don't like wanna run straight to court. Like, who does that, right? You wanna try and negotiate. You wanna try and like yeah. get it handled. And so often what, what happens is people will have negotiation and then they'll have mediation where a third party comes in and a mediator simply tries to get the two parties to decide on something. The mediator doesn't give a ruling or a judgment or any of that. They're just there to kind of facilitate talking. And then you've got arbitration. So that's the traditional world that's happening now. It's happening all around the world. There are lots of mediators. There are lots of arbitrators. But a, pre a preface to all of this is that identity is required. So if you want to go to local court, you have to, you have to give your identity, right? Yeah. If you want to go to any traditional dispute resolution mechanism, you have to give your identity. But in many of our systems, we don't want to give identity, or at least we don't want to give it right off the bat. And so what I'm really interested in, aside from bringing arbitration to our industry, is how can we create systems that allow us to uncouple or divorce identity from dispute resolution, right? I love it. At the end of the day, yeah. if what you want to sue me for is 10 grand, does it matter who I am? Does it matter that I am Pamela Morgan? No, it matters that I am person who has wronged you and I have $10,000 that you can get, right? Like at the end of the day, a lot of times identity doesn't actually matter. 
And so I'm very interested in exploring alternative ways and alternative means for dispute resolution that uncouples those two things. Nice. The issue is that you can't do that in a commercially viable way without having a safety net, okay? So the safety net is arbitration. Why? Because in the contract, it will say, hey, let's try this other sort of dispute you know, resolution, crowd jury or a, or a mediation DAO, right? Where you actually have the software itself decide who wins or loses and gives <laughs> a suggestion. Like there's so many cool things we could experiment with. And like, I'm not saying I wanna use it. I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm open <laughs> to it. And maybe that, maybe that works for some people. So, but the only way that you get there is if you have a way to tie people into the outcome. So if our contract says, we're gonna try a mediation DAO, and then if I don't like the outcome, I can just run to local court, no one's gonna try the mediation DAO, right? Like, how do we make it stick? So instead, if we have mediation DAO, and then we have arbitration, we can say, the arbitrator needs to consider what happened with the mediation DAO. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So we can build commercial viability into these systems by starting with arbitration and then building creative solutions from there. So that's, that's really damn. Cool. That's exciting. That is, yeah. that is really so. awesome. And um, for those that don't know, I think you guys actually submitted a proposal to the DAO, like when it started, and it was like one of the highest voted like proposals at that time before before the DAO blew up, like so the Ethereum so DAO. Let me jump in that for just one second. I'll make it super quick. I know you're not believing me, um, but <laughs> so um, we didn't actually do a proposal for the DAO. What we did, okay. we were testing. We, we did a proposal, but we didn't actually submit it to the DAO. We were testing the market. So I've been interested in 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 talking about arbitration like this since early 2014. The problem gotcha. is that our industry wasn't ready for it. There wasn't enough kind of traction. There weren't enough people that were interested in this sort of thing. Like people were really building like grassroots stuff then. And so what we were trying to do by putting the proposal out there before, you know, when the DAO was out, was we were trying to gauge the community's interest and see if it was going to be a good time. Um, one of the most interesting things that happened with the DAO is that our proposal created like this this rift in the DAO community, which I don't think anyone expected because our proposal had no ROI. We had no return on investment. Mm -hmm. And so there were some, no direct return on investment. Now the proposal sure. in a nutshell was we were gonna do a bunch of research, make it available to the whole community, and then we could build on that if the research said that we were going in a good place. So we put this, this proposal out there and half of the people said like, yes, this is awesome. We need this. Let's do it. And the other half was like, yeah, we need this, but F them. Like there's no ROI. No. <laughs> and what was really interesting about this is that it showed that people who thought they thought just like everybody else in the Dow quickly found out that, wait a minute, not everyone thinks like me. And it was this moment where people were like, wait a minute, you would invest in something that didn't have an ROI? And they were like <laughs> looking at each other in shock. Um, both sides <laughs> looking at each other being like, wait, what's wrong with you? You know? And so I thought that was like small box and I, yeah, I yeah. big box, what? <laughs> and no, totally, right? And it's like, it's just all, but, but people don't recognize that they that they 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 assume that they share all the same thoughts and values with other people until all of a sudden they learn that they don't. 
And I think that's one of the most interesting things about the DAO and about these new alternative organizations is that they teach us not only about software, but they teach us about our own assumptions, which I think is fascinating. That's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> well, um, we're reaching, we just hit an hour, I think, on, on the time. So I think we're, uh, we need to wrap it up. But um, I don't know. Like. Uh, this like arbitration stuff and and like you were you, like you were just discussing with the idea of um, you know we need to do our research first to see if the legalities of it even make sense to even approach the idea um, you know before we come up with some business model or or whatever that you guys were going to propose um, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the ideas that people are pursuing with a lot of ICOs and things out there like. Some people have no idea whether or not if it's even legally like possible, and you know you're seeking money and and picking up money. So I don't know. Maybe you could just talk about it like that for like a couple minutes, and then um, and then we can wrap it up. Sure. So so this episode should be called "Loaded Questions." Number <laughs> <laughs> so Come on. so all right. So let no. I'm, I'm totally joking. So all right. So ICOs. Um, you know, I'm really torn about ICOs. I think that it's ridiculous that um, people are nanny stated out of investing in interesting projects, right? I think it's ridiculous. I think the whole concept of an accredited investor is antiquated. And I think everyone yeah, who's not an in a, like, Do I go ridiculous. to the DMV and get my accredited investor card? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like, okay, so they set some arbitrary number and they said, well, if you have this amount of money, then you can afford to lose it. And therefore it's okay if you invest, which is just, yeah. Anyway, so I, I think that it's, that it's totally antiquated. That said, um, we have done our, our communities and our children in a, in a disservice. And that is we have not taught them about finance. That's we have right. not taught them about investment. We have not taught them about money management. And this is now coming back to bite us. So in all of the ways that we've told, you know, our, our, our friends and our family, you know, the educational systems and, and the people around us have said, oh, listen, you know, just put your money in the bank. It's safe there. Don't worry about it. You don't need to think about it. Get a money manager because you can't manage your own money. You know, this whole like idea that you're not capable of managing your own money leads to this opportunity sort of FOMO, right? Like fear of missing out. Okay, I've got a little bit of money. I don't actually know how to evaluate investment, but I think that this is gonna make money, so I'm gonna put money into it. And they don't know. No one has told them, you know, that VCs lose 90% of the time and they do this full time and they don't take, I mean, so, so if a VC, someone who does this full time and they only take, you know, what, 0.01% of the investments that, that come before them, and those investments are proven with a team, with a business plan, with revenue. You know, watch Shark Tank, friends, please. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> you don't even need to like do a whole investment course. Just watch the questions that they're asking on Shark Tank and ask the same questions of your ICO, right? Like, you know, that, so, so I'm torn. I think that it's that it's a that it's a great opportunity, and I love leveling the playing field. But at the same time, I think that having this alone without the educational component can only lead to people losing tons of money. Mm -hmm. And people are going to learn, right? Eventually, we're going to have people learn. What I don't want to see 
is the SEC or some other organization or, God forbid, a crypto organization coming in and organizing and deciding which ICOs are good and which ICOs are bad. You know, we don't need to substitute the current system with another system plus blockchain. Yeah. Like, can yeah. we not do that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyone who's out there and like doing education on this, I, I would love to know what you're doing because um, I think it's really, really important. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, I, I'm so, like, you know, I'm an anarchist at heart and, um, you know, I, I want to disintermediate like any sort of control and, and uh, make self-sovereignty and like bring self-sovereignty around, but uh, especially in finance, but you know, I, I, it's, it's just, it's hard it to see. To see. So some of these are just such, I mean, some of them are just such scams and you're just like, well, yeah. like, and I, one thing I've noticed is a lot of people that are just buying into the hype. Like they know that the hype's going to happen. They don't give two shits about the functionality or whatever, what it's supposed to do, the legalities behind the project, but, they know that A, B, and C are going to back the project, and um, you know, or there's market makers going to get behind it, or whatever, and that you know, and it's just kind I of mean, like this insider insider trading thing that's kind of developed, but it's um, but I mean that's know, not really it, that wild, wild far west, like, it, but I mean that's not really that far off from what happens in the stock market, right? right. You're just talking yeah. about, I mean, it's just a, it's it's, yeah. it's a different scope of people that are playing the game. Mm -hmm. That's the same shenanigans that are happening in the stock market. For sure. Yeah. For sure. It is absolutely true. So, well, um, thank you so much, Pamela, for coming on our show. Um, thank I you for pestered, having me. I just, everybody knows, I've, I've been pestering her for like three or four months, I swear. Like, I mean, you've got to come true. on the show. <laughs> so, that that uh, is true. I'm, I'm sorry I, I it took me so some, long. Yeah, I know, well, I know you had some stuff come up, and, uh, you know, but I'm really happy that uh, you're finally able to come on the show and, uh, talk about all this stuff and I know estate planning and DAOs and everything is uh, this world is just changing so fast and we'd love to have you on the show again one day awesome. um, so hey, how do, yeah. how do people and, and get a hold of you if, if someone wants to contact you oh, for yeah. estate planning or, or, for, or for advice how do they get a hold of you and or um, third key solution so the best way to start is uh, third key solution so it's third key dot solutions um, spelling it out t-h-i-r-d-k-e-y dot solutions um, you can find me on Twitter at at Pamela JD P A M E L A W JD, um, and you know otherwise, if you just Google Pamela and Bitcoin, I'm pretty much the only one out there right now. So maybe next time I come on the show, that won't be true. But you know, this time. So yeah, there, there's lots of ways you can find me. I have a ton of free resources for people who want to start getting into estate planning, um, and you know, I. It's really easy to put off. Um, even I have put it off um, now. I mean, I have it now, but you know, it's it's one of those things that I'm like, even I who work on this, you know, on a day to day basis, is like, oh, I need to update. You know, I need to do something different. So, you know, it's it's an easy thing to put off, but it's a really really important thing to do. And I promise, it doesn't suck as much as you think it does. So, <laughs> you can get it done in maybe an hour, and uh, and yeah, you'll you'll be better off for it. Cool. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, thank you uh, to all of our viewers out there. Please uh, like, share, share the show, tweet about it, tell your friends. Um, and yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Everybody have a good one. All right, we'll see thanks. You next time. Good night.